0: Hello and welcome to FortiGuard Live. I'm Derek Mankey and I'm joined once again by Amar Lakhani. Good to see you again, Amar. How are you doing?
1: I am wonderful. I'm actually super
0: today. <laughs> I, I I think I saw that coming for some reason. <laughs> uh, great to see you as always. So um, you know, first half 2021, a lot of stuff happened. We released our, our global threat landscape report, a lot of great data in there. There's, there's a really good story in here in terms of innovation with FortiGuard Labs, right? We have well over 100 patents associated just with FortiGuard Labs and, and threat intelligence and detection. But there's so much happening behind the scenes. Of course, everything that, that we do and talk about and show in the report for uh, protection of customers and all, all those great updates to, to mitigate and fight threats and detect them. But there's really a lot of stuff going on in the labs and i know amari you you have your hands in this every day you know as as a, as a threat researcher with us so i wanted to talk about that and one of the one of the most exciting things to me is um, some new data that we showed in the report with uh my uh, specifically uh, mitre attack ttp data and heat maps and so maybe let, let's talk about that a little bit, because this is this is new, right? This is an innovative piece. And for the first time, we've highlighted real data, real data for over that period of the first half of 2021, not just showing about um, all the all the things we traditionally talk about, which are relevant, right? Botnets and uh, the, the um, attack surface with uh, what, what exploits and CVEs are moving and those sorts of things. But this is really zooming in further into the malware and the attacks themselves. What are the capabilities and what? What tools are they actually using out of their back pockets, so to speak? That, that, that's quite interesting. The way we've done this is um, we actually showed uh, the you know relevant uh, MITRE ATT&CK TTP data, so techniques, tactics, and procedures, and um, it's a completely new strategic view, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me make sure like everyone kind of understands the impact of this, because it, we're not only talking about a lot of types of different attacks, you, you have that every day. Every day you have new types of attacks, different types of attacks, or, or, or just a lot of quantity of attacks. And that we're not only talking about the tools that uh, attackers are using behind attack, which is really valuable by itself, just to understand the attacks, but we're talking very specifically about the techniques the attackers are using. And, and I think that's actually pretty exciting to me as a researcher, because I get to zero in and focus on the exact techniques they're using at specific moments during that life cycle of that attack. So when we're talking about initial access, when we're talking about data exfil, when we're talking about persistence, like what are the actual techniques that they're using? What are the tools behind the techniques? And also, what is like the likelihood or what is the percentage of total attacks we're seeing Focused on a particular technique. And that's, to me, as a defender, that's interesting, because now I know where to focus on instead of like, basically trying to boil the ocean, I can like, really, really just come down to like my own kettle, my own pot and figure out where I really need to concentrate on
0: yeah I, I i completely agree and boiling the ocean i i i that that's something that has been a challenge for too many people and quite frankly the, the wrong approach um it's too easy to be overwhelmed in the world of threat intelligence and you know the number one thing i talk to CISOs about uh, the problem that they're facing is event fatigue right too too many logs coming in how do i i, I know there's a lot of bad things out there how do i prioritize response and you're right you hit the nail on the head with that that's exactly what what um, you know what we're doing with with the innovation piece to be able to stack rank that basically show um you know a a heat map in terms of red orange and green what what are the ones really that are um are, are the top priority do you have relevant solutions that stack up from it so as an example like a couple of things that we showed in the report was um and no surprise here but again this is these are real uh, real problems that the world's facing, right? Uh, privilege escalation, um, defense evasion. Attackers are always trying to get around security controls. But if you know exactly how they're doing that and the techniques, it does two things in my point of view, right? One, it obviously helps from a defender's uh, standpoint. It helps CISOs and SOCs and, and NOCs be able to understand what are those techniques? Do I have solutions? and uh in place because this is how i prioritize response the other thing is and i really like this one is when we publish this it and and there's more general awareness that also exposes that to the cyber criminals this is the pyramid of pain that we've talked about before right it's harder for them to change you know their methodologies the, their techniques and their tools and the way they're going in than it is to ch- say change an ip address right
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, when I when I look at that heat map, I think to myself, okay, if there's a if there's a weighted percentage, if there's a technique that's being used off and off and like, you know, 30, 40, 60 percent of the time, whatever that number is, I start thinking to myself, like, well, first of all, why is that the case? I mean, obviously it's because it's successful, right? It's successful to attackers, but is it because it's so successful they don't they're not even trying any other method methodologies or techniques, or is it that uh, they really have no other way of getting to the same type of data and accomplishing the same tasks? Now, that's really a million dollar question. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't think we can answer that for each organization, but I will tell you what organizations need to do is they need to kind of look at that heat map and understand or actually, Uh, you know ensure that they can detect those techniques so when we look at like persistent uh, uh, you know uh, persistency or we look at like privilege escalation the actual techniques and even if the tools change if the techniques are exploited can your organization detect that regardless of the malware the actual attack that's being used basically that's red teaming in a nutshell it's a it's kind of like a uh, type of red teaming I would say but uh, but I think it's very important for Organizations to focus on what attackers are focusing on and making sure they can detect those solutions and hopefully even mitigate and stop those solutions.
0: Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I call this high resolution threat intelligence because it really is putting this under a microscope, too. And, and some of the techniques, this is the nature of MITRE attack, is that they can be very specific. As an example, if we look at, you know, there's over 55% uh, for privilege escalations when users are, sorry, not users, but the the malicious users, uh, you know, the adversaries are trying to get onto its system. Obviously, they need to raise privileges like to administrators so they can execute code properly, um, establish a foothold and persistency. Um, Over 55% of that activity was uh, API hooking, as an example. So that's a specific technique. A lot of malware does use that, but it still shows how how they need this is part of the kill chain story they need to be able to do that still before they can be successful so if you can stop that that problem things like solutions on the edr front obviously sandbox integrated sandboxing on that sort of stuff really the payload side it it can actually um, go a long way to mitigate the attack it's that same kill chain story but at a higher resolution right
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I think that was an interesting piece, uh, part of the report, part, part of the findings, the API hooking. And I wanna make sure we understand what that means because first of all, every, every, you know, we hear about APIs a lot. APIs are really important in a cloud-based, hyper-connected world where you need, you know, multiple software systems and hardware systems to talk to each other. And how do they do, do that? Well, they do that through APIs. Well, and what malware is doing, doing with API hooking is it's really changing the fundamental behavior or adding behavior to that, those software processes, almost, elic- almost like a man in the middle the attack, but much more on the software side where it's actually injecting that uh, malicious component. And I don't wanna say malicious software because it's not it's not always a malicious process. Maybe it's just changing behavior or it's maybe changing the functionality of the software, but basically the attacker is doing something to manipulate or to augment whatever malicious threat that they wanna expose. And, um, and because APIs are so prevalent, everywhere we use, whether it's networking or software development, or pretty much every every technique, this attack, this attack threat surface is pretty, pretty large. And, uh, and that's a problem. And a lot of people, they're not really looking into like, limiting API calls or understanding like what the vulnerability or what the exposure is with API calls throughout an entire organization. But you can be be sure that shadow users, the attackers, whatever you want to call them are definitely doing that.
0: Yeah, and, and the other interesting thing about that, again, no no surprise, but it's an important piece. And unfortunately, going back to your point um, I that you, you mentioned earlier, I really do think this is still the low-hanging fruit for attackers. We talk about the low-hanging fruit all the time when it comes to social engineering, phishing emails, these sorts of things. This is another example, I think, because they are being successful. Right? This is still their, their preferred method of, of attack. Um, of course, with the API hooking to, this is like the world of rootkits and how they work. Right. I mean, they, are trying to hide everything once they get a, a foothold that gets even worse because they try to hook as many APIs they can even like file directories saying there's, there's no file here when it actually does exist. Of course, they're just hooking that API and, and cloaking everything essentially. So that's, that's the other piece we saw is the defensive Asian focus and, and lateral movement too, where that's included in this chart where we actually saw over 70% of lateral movement was still being preferred to, um. Uh, or done on uh, removable media again an older technique but still very prevalent right
1: yeah, I was uh, I was a little surprised uh, to hear that, but, you, you, you know, in some ways, but uh, if you think about, like, how many times do we exchange files for USBs for other types of removable media, it happens, like, multiple times a day. And especially, like, as we start going back into the office and working in, like, small groups, I, I think that's even going to be, like, much exposed even much more. It's such an easy attack. There are, like, rootkits and basically uh, documentation online to show you how to build a, you know, you know, a basically a rogue USB. Uh, stick that as soon as you plug in, it basically connects to a command and control system. And a lot of times you can even take over a keyboard. You can actually like write those programs in ASCII. You're bypassing like, uh, you know, antivirus. They're old school methods that work really, really well.
0: Yeah, and, and all the more reason, like I talked about with that kill chain story, to be able to have end-to-end <laughs> coverage and detection for these things. A lot of the things, especially when we start talking about miter attack, it's important to have, um, you know, mitigation pieces and solutions that can detect this. This is actually where our data is coming from, of course, because we have uh, within the fabric our sandbox EDR that speaks and and breathes miter attack. So it's important to be able to detect those too, um, to to even be able to, de- to defeat trivial things like the removable media too. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's a very strong innovation piece. Uh, We're also contributing as a research sponsor to the MITRE Ingenuity Center for Threat Informed Defenses, a sightings ecosystem project, which is all about this, right? How can we actually get a better, that Venn diagram problem of threat intelligence in the industry, better understand this, uh, look at, at the verticals and so forth too. So there's a lot happening there. Really exciting stuff. And, um, and this is really trying to help solve that how do i prioritize my response and and um, so a lot of interesting things to come on this um the other piece switching gear from miter that of course we talked about in the report that i'm also very excited about is the good news in the industry right um there's there's actual progress that has been made we're up against uh, this is always a frontline fight this is always the The war on cybercrime that we talk about, of course, we're doing a lot of great efforts with trying to solve these problems within 40 guard labs. So the MITRE piece is is part of it. Uh, Working with the world economic forum, uh, you know, we're, we're. uh, We're a founding member of the center for Cybersecurity. working with the partnership against cybercrime. We're always working uh, behind the scenes to try to find malicious infrastructure to try to find. At, at the end of the day, um, you know attribution—who's behind these? How many different ransomware gangs are there? And contribute that, right? Uh, in terms of disruption, and I think that's a very important word. How do we, um, you know, disrupt cybercrime? Uh, it's an industry piece, but something that we saw and highlighted in the threat landscape report. Trickbot specifically—that's a, a, a good example. I mean, there's other good examples. A Motet was one of them that, that went down january and it never returned to its previous levels it's still been there because it's the whack-a-mole game but the strategy is becoming better and it really went more than half half of its uh, previous activity and it stayed at this new low watermark now same thing with Trickpot. went offline in q4 last year it came back we noticed a resurgence in june but it took six months for it to come back and it's not nearly as prolific as it was before
1: yeah, I think you're seeing a very deliberate effort that we really hadn't seen in the past before. With multiple industries, multiple levels of government getting involved and taking cyber very seriously. You know, one of the things like we we don't always like to be the bearer of bad news, but one of, one of the things with cyber itself is a lot of a lot of cyber defensive solutions, when we take down a lot of things, it involves for the whole industry, not only the technical piece, but also the legal piece. So a lot of times you can't really advertise a lot of your wins. And a lot of those wins take a long time to just work through the systems that really have nothing to do with any any technical limitations, right? It's just like little different processes. So a lot of times we don't hear about that. And I think now know that we are starting to hear more and more about it is because it shows you not only are people getting deliberate about stopping their attacks, but I think, think finally, maybe maybe the non-technical pieces, the political pieces are kind of catching up to the real world and making sure that, uh, you know, everyone is, understands that we're all in this together. We really are. And yeah. we all have to make a, a uh, continuous effort to stop these attacks from a technical and a non-technical piece. And I'm, I'm pretty happy to see that. It's like pretty exciting that, hey, okay, people get it and we have to move fast and we have to stop these attacks in multiple ways. Yeah, and I think it's important for everyone
0: to know that everybody has their role. When we say we, of course, we often talk about our labs and the industry and how we work together. But even down to organizations, they have their role too, right? It's, it's the education piece, the training, the hardening of defenses that make more, uh, more you know, add more resili- resiliency to networks. That is also helping to disrupt cybercrime. So it really is a multi stakeholder effort. Amar, it's great to speak with you again. Super, in fact. Um, Thanks for joining me. It's always uh, wonderful talking to you. A lot of great data in the report, a lot of exciting things happening. You can check that again on uh, blog.fortinet.com and all of our latest threat research updates under the threat research category. I'm Derek Mankey once again with FortiGuard Live. Take care.